Please turn in your Bibles now to the book of Luke, chapter 12. We continue looking at several parables from the teaching of Jesus. Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. We'll be looking at a short parable, which is pretty straightforward, and yet is one of those uh, doctrines that uh, eldership was telling us about after the communion service last week. Uh, perhaps easy to understand not easy to live by. Let's give attention now. This is the word of God. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully, and he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. This is the word of God. May God bless his word to us this morning as we study it together. Well, at one point, uh, the females in my house enjoyed watching the reality TV show Say Yes to the Dress, and uh, doubtless some others of you are aware of this show. The premise is, uh, in this one particular wedding store, a person would come and go through the process of choosing out uh, her wedding dress, and always would be accompanied by friends and family members and there would be lots of drama that was result. It only took me one episode to be fully satisfied that I had, uh, had the essence of the show, and that was enough for me. But in the one episode I watched, it was very instructive, because the woman came in, and her budget for her dress was $5,000. I mean, that seems a little high, uh, definitely high for our family, but uh, $5,000. And then she looked through all the dresses, and the one that she really, really liked was $10,000. So that's, that's tough. So you, you, this didn't turn out exactly like I thought because I thought, okay, it's twice your budget. You'll just charge it all, right, and do the American thing. But no, she didn't charge it. What she did was she said, okay, I need this dress. I will delay the wedding until I can save enough money uh, to uh, buy the dress I want. And uh, when they asked her fiancé how he felt about that, uh, his response was, well, whatever it takes to make her happy. And uh, and so he was was okay if they delayed the wedding for the dress. So right, it seems like things are quite backwards. But uh, what was fascinating there is this, this, uh, a couple of things. One, the premise that what makes somebody happy is the most important thing, right? That the, the, the main goal in life is for a person to be happy. So that's one of the 
the lessons that comes out of that. But the second one is that I can purchase my happiness. Uh, if I just spend enough money on this or that thing or arrange my circumstances, that that happiness is something that's purchasable. And what's so fascinating is that here we're looking at a parable Jesus told over 2,000 years ago, and it's the same issues that we're still dealing with today. This idea that my happiness is number one and that my happiness can be purchased. You see, there's truly nothing new under the sun. And of course, we know this is not just a problem uh, in the world out there. It's a problem in the church as well. This is in the air that we breathe. This idea that our things can give us happiness, and if we just organize our situation properly, we will be happy. And so the, the challenge of this passage, I've given it to you there, there's an outline that's kind of an insert today, is that we need to throw off our culture's warped view of our possessions, and we need to seek, and, and that means continually seek, the true riches of heaven, which are only found in our Lord Jesus Christ. And children, if you want to draw a picture for me today, draw a picture of this man and his barns and uh, listen for what we learn about the mistake that he was making. So as we begin to work through the passage, I want you to see initially your attitude toward your earthly possessions is easily warped. We see this in verses 13 to 15. Now just to get some uh, context here, Jesus uh, is in the part of his ministry uh, Peter has made this great profession of faith and recognized Christ as the Messiah. And Jesus has told his disciples he's heading to Jerusalem and to his death. But as he's doing this, he's teaching and he's gaining a huge following. He's teaching and he's healing. So if you look in chapter 12, verse 1, in the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another. He began to say, so Jesus has is, is got a huge following at this time, and uh, people are eager to hear what he says. And it's in that context that in verse 13, we're told that a man from the crowd cries out to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so probably what's in view here is that the man's father has died. And in those days, most of the, of the wealth of the family would be in the property and in the animals that, uh, that, that they had. And so uh, the older brother would get the majority of the estate, the double portion, but uh, the idea would be that the younger brothers would perhaps stay on and live nearby and help run the farm because it's very costly to break up the farm and to separate it off. But this younger brother clearly isn't satisfied uh, with his younger brother role. He wants to, to force the older brother to sell up at least part of the estate so that he can get his money and, uh, and go off and use it. And so he's appealing uh, to Jesus. Now, we might think, well, why would he appeal to Jesus? Well, Jesus was considered uh, to be a rabbi, and, and often these kinds of questions would be brought to the religious leaders of the day. So it's, it's actually not unusual that uh, he would ask Jesus uh, a question or a person like Jesus this question. But you notice Jesus' response. He says in verse 14, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, Jesus could have settled the point, but, the, but he makes a, a more important point, and that is that that's not why he's come. Jesus has not come into the world to settle financial disputes for people. He's come into the world to deal with their spiritual needs. Now, Matthew Henry, speaking about this, uh, and these, these are also in your outline, these quotations. Though he came not to be 
a divider of man's estates. He came to be a divider of their consciences about them. So what we think about our possessions, yes, Jesus is very, very concerned about that. And I think the irony here is that this man had the Son of God standing in front of him, and his concern is on his financial situation. And so this is reflective of a spiritual problem in his life. And J.C. Ryle commenting on this says, how many hearers of the gospel are just like this man? How many are incessantly planning and scheming about the things of time, even under the very sound of the things of eternity? And uh, we might even ask, as we sit here listening to God's word, how many of us are actually thinking about, I need to get the car fixed or whatever uh, issue is in the back of your mind, how easy it is for us under the sound of the things of eternity to have our focus on the things of time. And Jesus' response is clear. Uh, He says in verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness, or some translations translate that greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Uh, Jesus says this man is manifesting covetousness this this idea that means children that there's an inordinate desire for things that you do not have and uh, this leads to a lack of contentment and of course we understand we live in a in a context where uh, wanting things is just in the air we breathe it's all around us in our western society jesus tells us and warns us uh, that the things of life do not consist in the abundance of what we possess, that these are not the essence of our lives. And this, for this reason, this is a very challenging word to us. Uh, Klein Snodgrass, also speaking about this, says the message of the parable is antithetical to our thinking, as antithetical to our thinking as any Jesus told. I know of no more difficult topic to apply personally or to the lives of modern Western Christians. Our primary pursuits are our own security and pleasure, both, we think, achieved by possessions. And uh, we, might, uh, you know, we might be tempted to think, well, th- isn't this just kind of a strange sidebar issue? But as Kenneth Bailey reminds us, in regard to material things, Jesus said more about money than he did about prayer. Uh, just sort of I- indicating how serious a challenge this is for us, how we view our circumstances. Uh, my favorite a preacher who sadly I only heard live a few times, heard him mostly uh, online, it was uh, Ted Donnelly. And uh, in one of Ted's sermons, he talked about hosting a pastor who was visiting from the third world. And he said um, he never forgot the first time that this man saw a garage and, and said to Ted, a house for a car. And and it is quite striking if you realize that for most of us, our cars live better than a huge majority, a a huge number of people on this planet live in circumstances that are less than our cars. And this man was just blown away. There are many, many blessings we experience by living in prosperous Western society but with those blessings comes an incredible temptation 
And that temptation is to find our security and our hope in the things that we have. And Jesus is warning you and me when he says, beware of covetousness, beware of greed. So easy for us to struggle with our thoughts about our possessions. They can be easily warped. And Jesus wants you to think biblically. So secondly, we see here that your possessions are not really yours. Now Jesus tells this parable to illustrate the folly of thinking that our lives are our stuff. And so in verse 16, he says, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And so the idea here is that there was a bumper crop, uh, something special happened that year. I, I think from time to time we get conditions in Indiana where uh, you don't get too much rain early so the corn can be planted and not be flooded out. And then once the corn's up and established, there's good regular rain. And then in the fall, the rain tapers off and it's dry. And so the grain is dried early and the farmers are able to get their crop in ahead of time. And you have a huge crop. And so all these things happen to allow the farmer to have an especially good crop. And none of those things have anything to do with the farmer. They're not anything he controls at all. And, and this is the situation. Yet look how the man responds to this wonderful providence of God. In verse 17, he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he says, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And then I will store my crops and my goods. And he just, it's I, I, me, my, my. And as one of the commentators says, the, the circle of his life has been reduced to a dot, that his whole focus is on himself. And it, it's fascinating because it appears that he has no family or friends. He's making these decisions about his property, his barns, and he doesn't consult with anybody. He just consults within himself. It's as if he's pulled himself away uh, from others, and he believes all that he has is his in an ultimate sense. And the Bible warns us that reality is far, far different. 1 Timothy 6, verses 7 and 8, and these are in your outline. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. We own nothing. And as the scripture says, the evidence is simply look at what you brought into the world. Look what you will take with you. As Simon Kistemacher says, in the presence of God, we stand empty-handed. Or as God says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and all of its fullness. It all belongs to God. There's a story of an associate of John Rockefeller who, upon Rockefeller's death, uh, was curious about how wealthy Rockefeller was. And so he went to Rockefeller's accountant and he said, how much did he leave behind? And the accountant, I think, wanting to cut off any of these inquiries, he said uh, he left all of it, 100%. He, he didn't take any with him. And we may laugh, but it's so true. And uh, so often we live as if it's not true. And uh, this is what leads us often to live beyond our means, to rack up debts, to refuse to give to the Lord's work like we should. We, we don't think of the fact that it all belongs to God and that even our very lives belong to God. We don't own those either. Recognize we cannot control the day we're born. We cannot control the day 
we die. It all belongs to God. The place where our family has uh, vacationed regularly for 50 years uh, is virtually gone. And uh, on, on Fort Myers Beach, uh, every structure was a mix of sort of modern condominiums and then wood frame houses. And in one afternoon, evening, all the houses are gone off the entire island. And people, some people escaped with literally only the clothes they were wearing. And uh, others, what they could pack in a car as they drove away. And uh, God allows that to happen sometimes in our lives to remind us what is always the case. None of it is ours in an ultimate sense. It's all his. And sometimes it's only when it's taken away, something's taken away from us, do we remember that that is in fact the case. This parable, Jesus is reminding us that our possessions are not ours. They are God's. Thirdly, we see here that your possessions cannot give you true happiness and security. This is the other problem, right? That through what we have, we can find our comfort and our security. The man's prosperity creates challenges, often as prosperity does, and he has too much grain and not enough place to store it. So he says that, you know, this is what I'll do. I'll pull down my old barns, I'll build bigger barns. And then in verse 19, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, This is his idea. Now I've got enough that I can sit back and relax. Uh, My 401k has done well. I can retire. I can go to Arizona, play golf and shuffleboard and never have to worry about anything else. I saw a humorous Babylon Bee headline that said that the, the current uh, administration is doing everything it can to make sure we don't store up uh, treasure on earth. <laughs> but uh, sad as it may be, uh, we still try to find our security and our happiness in our possessions. And of course, this man is going to learn that that security is an illusion very quickly. Jesus here Uh, speaking in Matthew 6, verses 19 and 20, says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Uh, This is a reminder that our so-called treasure is never safe. It's always subject to loss and It can never provide us true and lasting security and comfort. And in fact, you you know how this works. Children, um, if if your parents take you to the store and you say, oh, mom, I just like one of, I'd love to have one of those. And And then your mom says, okay, and buys that for you. How long, how long does that take care of your need to have something purchased for you? How long does that satisfy you? My guess is the next trip to the store, you are desperate for another thing that your mom or dad will buy you. And and this isn't, it's just not the kids, right? This is true for all of us. You can't get through acquiring things 
your, your inner needs met. There, it will never work. It's always so short and it doesn't actually satisfy. And how quickly things can be taken away. One of uh, the assistant coaches at, at, at the college where I played hockey was uh, a very good player when he had gone to college. He had graduated as the leading scorer in the program history and he had a promising professional career started. And in a game, a puck deflected off the ice and hit him in the eye and he lost the sight in one of his eyes. And in an instant, his career was over. And uh, he, he, could, he could never play competitively again. Our next door neighbor, when we moved into the uh, house we live in now, had uh, been a, a physicist at Los Alamos, had had a great career, had retired, uh, bought a, built a house actually in Bloomington, um, so he could be near his son and grandchildren. And uh, before he and his wife were even able to move into the house, uh, his wife got cancer and died. And so uh, all the plans uh, that he made, he lived in that house uh, by himself uh, until uh, he went home to be with the Lord. It, it can so quickly be taken away from us. And yet we continue to act like having those things is what will fill us. And, and if, uh, if the truth be known, one commentator points out that if we are really honest with ourselves, many of us would like to be like the rich fool here, except for the last part, right? We would like to be the person that says, I've got enough, I can put my feet up, I can relax, everything is as it should be and uh and that's a great temptation for us one, one of the the farmers in northern ireland came to me and talked to me about this parable and he said in northern ireland this is called the parable of the rich farmer and he was considering and had been in the process of getting uh, more milking machines and uh, expanding his business and he said is this wrong is this wrong and I said, no, it's, it's not wrong. Jesus is not against uh, working hard or even expanding your business. What he's against is this attitude that your stuff is the source of your life and that you're going to have a security and comfort in your stuff. This idea that I can kick back because finally I've made it. Your possessions cannot give you real happiness or security. And fourthly, we see here that your possessions are not more important than your soul. The rich man invested all his energy and attention on his welfare in this life, but he showed no concern for his life in the next world. Uh, verse 19, again, it seems like his highest goal is eating and drinking and being merry. Uh, kind of an antithesis to what Augustine said, my soul is restless until it finds rest in you. This man seems to be saying, my soul is restless until I have a bigger barn and more stuff to put in it. Uh, he doesn't even understand. He sees himself almost like an animal. And God's verdict on this in verse 20 is very clear. You fool. And you fool is not just, it's not name calling children. That's a theological term. That means one who has rejected God, one who lives as a practical atheist. We sang in Psalm 53 earlier, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One 
is understanding. So apart from loving God and from having our lives invested in eternity, we can't truly be wise. The fool is the one who lives as if there is no God. And this is what this man was doing. He had a great interest in his physical well-being, but absolutely no interest in his spiritual well-being. Matthew Henry says about this, it's the unspeakable folly of the most of men to mind and pursue the wealth of this world more than the wealth of any other world, that which is merely for the body and for a time more than that which is for the soul and eternity. And we might say how incredibly short-sighted that is, and yet at the same time, how incredibly common. Uh, we, We live in a community that attracts tens of thousands of people here every year uh, to study at the university, to gain credentials, to prepare for the future. And my guess is if we went over and asked people on the campus, what are you doing to provide for your soul, right? They would want you uh, to be locked up somewhere because that's really, for the most people, not why they're here. And of course, we're not against education. We're not against improving ourselves. But the idea is that if I do these things, if I pursue these things, then I can get to the point where my life will be set. And, uh, and, and this is a, a very strong warning against that idea that we have to take care of our spiritual well-being. Our spiritual health is that which is most important. And realize how, how difficult this is for Christians living in this uh, culture that we have in America. When uh, my daughter Grace was still uh, at home, and I don't remember junior high, high school age, she went through a phase where after the evening worship service, we'd go home and she would say to me, Dad, let's see what Joel has to say. And uh, Joel was Joel Osteen. It just worked out that uh, Joel Osteen was preaching on the TV uh, after church. Now, this is not because she... Uh, liked Joel's philosophy. It was more like watching a car crash, I think is what the attraction was. That she, she wanted to see what Joel said. And, what, and, and it was amazing. We wanted to do it a few times to see that the message was virtually the same every time, which is that you should be a Christian because God will bless your life, because you'll have a better marriage, because you'll, have a, you'll drive a better car, because you'll be more financially well off, because your health needs will be met. And it turns the Christian faith into... God's the giant vending machine and his job is to make my life easy. And it lies to people. Uh, Tell the people in China that uh, coming to Christ is going to make you have an easier, happier life, right? That's not actually what Jesus says. Jesus says, come to me and die, not come to me and get rich. And yet that church that's preaching that message is the largest church in the country. And, And so we recognize how difficult it is for us And it's not just a challenge for those who have a lot of money. It's a challenge for everyone who thinks that what we really need to do is get a good situation in this life. In reality, what we need to do is have Christ and be prepared for eternity. Your possessions are not more important than your soul. And finally, we see here that the true riches of heaven are found only in Jesus Christ. So he is the one that you need to seek. Verse 21, Jesus finishes this little teaching. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Obviously, Jesus is saying, don't be like this wealthy man, just like we read in our Old Testament passage. Don't be like Nabal. Don't be like this rich farmer who is 
a fool. Rather, Jesus says, be rich toward God. And what does that mean? It means be rich in terms of spiritual things. Recognize that God is the source of all that we have, that we live our lives in dependence on him, and that our desire is to please him. Jesus is not here advocating asceticism, that we should all sell everything we own and go live in a a monastery. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying the world is evil. What he's saying is that we ought to be properly thankful for the many good gifts he gives us, but to recognize that those gifts are not ultimate things. They are temporary things. And that the ultimate thing he gives us is himself, is himself. James says in in James 2, verse 5, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? God makes his children rich in faith and heirs to a kingdom. Or Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Riches in this world are uncertain. God's the author of all your blessings. Trust him and abound in good works. Be willing to share. That's how we store up for heaven. And how is it possible for us to do that? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ is the truly rich man who came from heaven not as a fool, but as a wise man he left it all, came to, heaven, came to earth from heaven, living in poverty. And how did Jesus end his life on earth? Hanging naked from a cross while soldiers gambled for his only possession. He, he gave up everything he had in this world. And even more than that, he suffered the judgment and wrath of God. God took him as low as a person can go. Jesus did that so that people like you and me could be forgiven for our struggles with covetousness, that we could find satisfaction and life in him and only in him. And he rose from the dead victorious over death so that you and I could have victory in him. On your own, there's no way to do it. Your thinking will continue to be warped about your possessions. In Christ, the one who became poor for you, we find the true riches of heaven. I hope you guys, and I'm I'm trying to do this myself, Hang on to this little insert you were given in the bulletin for these children that are serving in a closed country. I can't say where it is. We've already seen uh, these other about the Smith family, 
and about the Hanna family serving in South Sudan. And on the back, it tells you a little bit about the kids' experience and, and what they're missing. Uh, here's a kid, age six. My grandparents and cousins and friends are all really far away, and that makes me sad sometimes, serving in South Sudan. This one, misses ice cream, hot showers, and not being able to talk with friends much. Uh, this is clever. Nothing is really hard about living here unless I get bitten by a snake or a scorpion. These families are living without electricity, without running water, without any of the things that we think are needed for life. And yet, they're experiencing the blessing of God, the riches of heaven, even while they're on earth. And what a blessing their parents are giving to them, not leaving them material possessions, but a spiritual heritage, uh, calling them to love and to trust this Lord Jesus who made himself poor for our sakes. Uh, that's where our hope can be found. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, seek him. He promises to receive any who would put his or her faith in him. And if you do know the Lord Jesus, this is a reminder to seek him continually, every day, to seek him. The, the culture wants to warp your thinking about your life in this world and your possessions and, and to tell you that it's all yours and you can do whatever you want with it and to tell you that this is what's truly gonna give you happiness and security. Jesus comes and tells you, no, seek me, seek me, and I give you something that the world cannot give you. So throw off your culture's warped view of possession. Seek the true riches of heaven, which you can have through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray, and we'll give him thanks. Our Lord and our God, we do come to you confessing how in, in various ways each one of us is guilty of the same uh, sinful attitude we see uh, in this parable uh, of thinking that if we can just get the right things or the right situation in life, uh, that that's what's going to give us true happiness and security, of acting as if uh, our possessions are ours in an ultimate sense, of um, not valuing uh, our eternal spiritual life as much as our physical life in this world. Lord, help us to see uh, what Jesus is teaching us here, uh, that we can never find what we're looking for in this world, but that he has come and uh, given it up all, all up for us so that we can find true, the true riches of heaven in him, the uh, eternal life, and the glory that he promises. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, uh, to trust in Jesus, to put our faith in him, and to seek him and his kingdom every day. We pray that you would protect us from the warped view of possessions, which is all around us, and that you would give us grace to live in contentment and in hope 
uh, thankful, Lord, for what you've given us, but even more thankful for giving us your son uh, so that we might live in fellowship with you. Help us, we pray, to apply these things even in this coming week, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And now as we prepare, uh, to, we want to sing back to the Lord after hearing his word. Uh, let's sing uh, from Psalm 50, selection B.